1: This is Arscast Extra.
2: Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly afternoon to you. No, sorry, badly afternoon to you. And I'm not wishing you a badly afternoon, it just is one, as you can see by me getting completely mixed up with what I was going to say at the start of this podcast.
1: Hey, it happens. Mm. I've had quite a few days. Um, Tell me because I was in Manchester Obviously On Thursday mm. Then I went to the Women's FA Cup final On Sunday mm. uh, For those who don't know Arsenal were Roundly trounced By Chelsea And then the following day Went up to Goodson Park mm. To watch Arsenal uh, Play Everton I mean it's a real case of McNicholas gets battered Everywhere he goes yes. At the moment
2: Stay away Stay away Yeah Are you going on Saturday
1: Afraid so. Don't. I mean, you know, I, I get messages from people saying, it's, you've got the best job in the world. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But other, pe- other people, you know, other times it is tough, you know, because you've got not only do you have to watch the games, you've got to pick them apart, you've mm. got to write about them, you've got to talk about them. Mm. They live with you for a very long time. That is true. I was lying in bed
2: this morning. You know that period where between the, where you wake up first and you doze off again and I was having a dream about the terrible problems I was having of writing the blog where I was going, what am I going to say? You know that dream where you sort of, you've dreamt you've done your homework and you haven't? Um, It was that kind of thing and I dreamt I was struggling. What am I going to say? And I'd almost got to the end of the blog and I was very happy with what I'd written and then I woke up and I had to get up and write about it.
1: Tough, it is. I dream about it, it too. Yeah. I dream about it too. Football yeah, haunts yeah. my dreams. Um, but I am home. I'm here. Mm. So, yeah, let's chat about it. Okay,
2: let's do it. Uh, before we get into the match chat side of things, oh, yeah. because we are going to have to do that, I just want to talk about something because I think it is worth talking about, but I want to keep it completely separate from the way we played, our performance, um, you know, our football, the, the the issues that we have as a football team. But I think it's important to talk about the incident with, with Tommy Asu and Ben Godfrey mm. and Mike Dean because I think it's absolutely disgraceful and outrageous that a professional footballer can land studs first on the face of another player when he absolutely 100% meant to to do it he absolutely did carraher said it neville said it on sky you could see in the incident itself and even whether he meant to do it or not the fact that he did it and it was looked at by var And Mike Dean, and no action was taken, not a yellow card, not a red card. I mean, it should have been a red card. We all know that should have been a red card. Is an absolutely disgraceful decision from Mike Dean, not for the first time this season either, because if you think back a few weeks when we played Crystal Palace, MacArthur, James MacArthur, absolutely booted Bakayo Saka with the ball nowhere near him. And again, Mike Dean was the referee. That's a stone cold... Re- I mean, that was the biggest red card of the season until that one last night that wasn't given. It's It's just... It's maddening and crazy and I'm not I'm saying this to get it out of the way it could have been different it wasn't different so we have to deal with the reality and you know uh, Godfrey getting sent off doesn't make us any better at playing football but I still think you have to you have to address these issues I, I just do not understand we saw Jude Bellingham um, you know talk at the weekend about issues with the referee in the mm. Dortmund Bayern game I'm not saying that an Arsenal player should have come out and said something like that but you no, Bakayo Saka got kicked all over the place last night and we didn't really do anything and we didn't do anything when Tommy Asu got, got clattered and we didn't do anything when, when Nuno got a, a really bad tackle on him in the second half as well. And mm. I just wish we would fucking stand up for ourselves a bit. In situations like that, the refereeing was terrible, but fuck me, come on, let's let's just be, I don't know, I, I, I'm sort of losing the run of myself here, I don't quite know how to express it, but I find it hard to take that when we are being targeted, and you know, Saka booted up and down the place yesterday, not for the first time this season either, we need to protect him if the referees won't. We need to make more of these situations because right now it's just too fucking easy to give decisions or not give decisions in our favour because, I don't know, I don't know, just be more upfront about things like this. So, yeah, I just wanted to um, rant about that for a sec.
1: That's fair enough. Imagine if, after our chat about um, Jamala Sells and uh, Gabriel Martinelli the other week, I said, actually, I thought it was fine, that challenge. I thought it was... uh, (laughs) Yeah you know he's going for the boys you know you want to take that out of the game no i mean obviously that one was a, an undeniable red card as much as i enjoy sort of rounding on mike dean and bear in mind i haven't seen tv coverage I've, i was in the press box with access to some replays and mm. just got home surely this is all on the assistant video assistant referee i mean it it didn't go to mike dean for a review did it so i
2: thought they said that it did Oh, did they? I think, yeah, I, I think that's what they said on the TV last night, that Mike Dean went over. But maybe they'd already made the decision. I don't quite know. I'd have to re-watch that entire incident again. But
1: um... Yeah, I, I think... Well, I didn't see him go over. Apologies if you did. Um, but it, you know, the idea that you could review that on the footage and not think that was a, a clear and obvious error from a referee to not give a red card, it is ridiculous. Mm. But as you say... That was not really the making of Arsenal's problems last night. And um, it, it is it is it is poor officiating and it is a problem. But Arsenal have got plenty of problems of, of course, their own as well, based on what we saw yesterday.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to get that out of the way in this opening stage. It's a bone of contention for me that this mm-hmm. happens but it's not an excuse for the way that we played for the way that the game went for anything but I still think it's it's something that's worth talking about in the you know for, just for a couple of minutes because clearly the bigger issues are what happened on the pitch and the way that we played the game and, and everything else so I mean where do we start team selection yeah uh, I guess so granite Xhaka back a month ahead of schedule starting wow, again yeah. without so much as a training game without an under-23 game.
1: I mean, how big of a surprise was that to you? Quite a big surprise. I mean, he went quite big on Instagram, which did sort of make you double-take. You know, he did put out that thing, I'm back. And you wondered, would you do that if you were on the bench? Um, mm. I did have that thought. Nevertheless, I was still very surprised. We Obviously, we don't... They've been quite sketchy about how and when exactly he returned to full training and Mm -hmm. I think that's been quite deliberate Um, so we don't really know how ready or how sharp he was I mean I presume it was a, a sound decision based on sort of good medical and physical grounds but it was a big surprise other than that, um, Tierney back in was obviously... I think a lot of people expected that. Yeah. To be fair, a lot of people expected that in the last three games. But, you know, I think this time, I think most people thought he would play. And then Smith-Rowe, we knew he had a problem. Mm. Uh, I thought he might be on the bench. He obviously missed out entirely. Um, so with Martinelli going over to the left-hand side. And then Lacazette for Bemiang, which... Again, was talked about as a possibility. I mean, I guess with two games in four days, a degree of rotation was inevitable. So yeah, I, the team was, with the exception of Shaka, not hugely surprising to me. What? What about you?
2: I mean, obviously, Shaka was a big surprise. Um, mm. And I think we'll talk about that in a bit more detail later, given you know how long he played and, and everything else and some of the yeah, decisions yeah. that Mikel Arteta made. Like I said, for Aubameyang, like, I wouldn't have done it, but I kind of understand why it happened. Aubameyang's not been in good form. Uh, he is the only other senior striker that we have, but I don't think it, it made us any better. Um, not at all. No, no. I, I, there were aspects of Lacazette's performance which I found quite frustrating in that, you know, you can look busy if you drop into central midfield and you can look busy if you chase back and, and end up in the right back position a couple of times. But that's not necessarily what you want from your centre forward. You need some kind of an outlet. And I don't really understand why... He put so much effort into that side of things uh, ahead of getting into good forward positions. Um, yes, yeah. I,
1: I think there's another side to the coin, which is that you know why does a striker drop deep, and 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 why did Lacazette and Odegaard as well at times end up coming quite so deep? And I and I do think that it was because Arsenal just weren't progressing at all from the back, and so there's a tendency. Mm. Uh, it's part of your job to. Um, I guess uh, uh, resist that urge but players get drawn towards the ball right Mm. and the ball especially in the first half was in our half I mean
2: what what do you put that lack of ball progression down to I mean (laughs) a reductive way of putting it is we have the 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 Shaka Tierney combination on that left hand side again which you know Tierney uh, provided a a very good assist
1: Um, yeah that was what we got our goal from I mean yeah Shaka knocked directly out to Tierney it was via Lacazette but I, I think it I don't. to be honest I don't think it was the case that Shaka came back in and now suddenly we didn't progress the ball and I don't think it was um, an entirely new problem you know that you can sort of pin it all on no. one player one man I think uh, and, and also you, you could also say of Lacazette well yeah he's coming back because he's trying to get on the ball but he, the fact that he's not up, high up the pitch means we haven't got targets. Um, mm. I, it's really difficult for me to say why. Uh, we just could not play through Everton and everybody else who's played them in the last six or seven games has and has created chances and we didn't do it. I mean, the, the first half I was sort of turning to the journalist around me in sort of disbelief I think was one of the worst (laughs) games I've ever seen live. Like, I honestly thought it was that bad. It's not that it wasn't exciting. Like, there was a degree of spectacle about it, and there was a bit of blood and thunder about Everton. But the lack of quality and confidence on show from both teams was uh, stark and sort of distressing. And 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 I think Everton have an excuse, really, because they've been on such a poor run of form. Mm. But from Arsenal, although we have seen some indications of those problems before, I thought this was uh, sort of shockingly bad. Uh, the first half in particular was really dire. Yeah. I thought. I thought
2: so too. It was probably the worst performance of the season.
1: I think it is because... With other performances, there are mitigating factors. You know, okay, we got hammered 5-0 at Man City, but what 11 did we have out that day? Okay, we lost at Brentford. And we had but, 10 men there, yeah. Sure. And um, But we had a COVID outbreak and the transfer business wasn't done. We went to Liverpool. They're miles better than us. Everton is a team that Arsenal should have gone and been able to beat. They were a team very down, very low on confidence, Mm. whose fans were planning a walkout in the 27th minute. I mean, they came... Some of them came hoping that it would all burn down. Like, some of them came... You know that sort of like self-destructive urge fans get where they're like, well, I hope we lose tonight and then they'll, that'll really stick it to the manager and the yeah, owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke to some Everton fans beforehand and that that was in their mindset. And so the opportunity was there for Arsenal to really go and hurt them. And if if Arsenal had scored before that planned walkout in the 27th minute, that stadium, I reckon, would have been half empty, turning on the players. But we just didn't assert ourselves in any meaningful way. That's, Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: That's, I mean, I said that in the the preview podcast and said it on the blog that the ingredients were there for Arsenal to really take advantage of how bad Everton have been in the last couple of days. And my fear was that we were going to give them the kiss of life. And we did, because that's what we do. It's unbelievable the way that we do this. You face a team that hasn't won in six years and, like, somehow... Somehow we we just sort of gift wrap a confidence boost, a goal here, a goal there. You know the three points that they need just to get themselves back up and running again. How we do this, I don't know whether it's something that we've got in our DNA or whether it's just a perception that I have. But God Almighty, it was just, it was so maddening that the first half from from Arsenal was as passive. As it was, and and you're right to say there was a little bit of blood and thunder about uh, Everton. Some of the tackling was a bit iffy. Certainly, Ben Godfrey, yeah. you know, the, the Tommy Assu yeah. one that you know he went careering into another couple of challenges as well. Yeah, that wasn't
1: the only one. They yeah, you know, quite a few from him.
2: But at, at the same time, you know, w- what do you expect when you go and face a team that's just been beaten in a in a local derby? Like, you know, they they there's clearly. Whatever the issues that the Everton fans have uh, with, with Rafa Benitez, the players are still willing to go out there and do it for him, slash the badge, the shirt, whatever you want to call it. But we could not take advantage. We didn't take it. We just played so poorly, so passively. I, I think we could talk about Thomas Partey at some point. You know, here's a guy who, you know, at the end of the day... Um, was pretty tidy on the ball. I think he completed 69 of 77 passes, uh, which is about 90% of his passes, but looks like a guy who just does not want to do anything but take the safe option because he's so short on form and so short on confidence, you know? And uh, that, yeah. I think, played a part in in our inability to get forward, to try and get players into attacking positions. I thought Martin Odegaard was... was quite bright, probably the brightest Arsenal player on the night scored a good I goal, so. but really that first half was just so, so bad. And I, I looked at two teams who weren't necessarily cancelling e- each other out, but Arsenal just had no way of of breaking down Everton or had no ideas as to how to do
1: that. No, and there were no chances in the game. I mean, I, I think that um, certainly there are dots you can join Like What I'm about to say is not to deny that there are kind of underlying problems here that you can say, well, this has always been a problem for Arteta. But I do think that the confidence of this team has plummeted dramatically very fast. I think that it's only a few weeks ago that we had that mantra of Arsenal start well. You know, they come out of the blocks well. We were Mm. saying first 10 minutes, 15 minutes of games. They really came out... And that's where you see a manager's instructions often is in that first 10, 15 minutes because you see them being put into play. And I felt like we were consistently saying, you know, Arsenal will come out the blocks Well, it's about whether or not they can capitalise, get that early goal. And there's an argument they did that at Old Trafford even. But at Goodison Park, that just wasn't there at all. And the ball progression was timid. It was... um, Uh, sort of optimistic at times, like Ben White was floating a few long ball passes. I think, you know, it's interesting, you bring Kieran Tierney back into the side and as you mentioned, that sort of ball out to him almost can become a bit of a crutch. I know we scored from it, but it sometimes feels like that's it. Mm. Um, Partey, I thought, was uh, really poor and we're still giving him the ball in sort of... um, Very difficult scenarios. So, you know, the plan is he draws two markers onto him. We give him the ball and say, wriggle out of there. You know, like uh, pull something out of the hat. And when a player is low on... Exactly. And we're asking him to be that kind of Santi Cazorla, get out of jail player who can beat two men and find the space and start a move. And when his confidence is high, he can do that. But... I don't know. I mean, it was a strange interview I thought he gave, to be honest. I know some people were like, well, good for him. He's owning up. I'm talking about the interview where he sort of gave himself four out of ten or whatever it was yeah. for his performance. But when I saw that, I was like, Christ, we've got some work to do on this guy. Like, there's not feeling yourself and there's feeling pretty shit about yourself. <laughs> and yeah. That was what I took from that interview. I don't know about you. Yeah,
2: I mean... I suppose on one hand you applaud the the honesty and the openness, but at the same time it is worrying, and I think it was evident in his performance last night. You're right to say we give him these difficult passes. The only thing he did with them last night was play them straight back to whoever gave them to him.
1: Like, usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know?
2: So when a player is out of form and when a player is low on confidence, you cannot expect him to become. Um, or you can't expect him to just sort of turn it on again and and like one performance
1: can change things but I don't know. The the ball progression thing, I, I spent ages thinking about it like what is it that is so maddening? Like what is Arsenal's attempts to score goals like? And all it made me think about was do you remember the board game, Mousetrap, where like you have to spend ages setting up this, like, assault course thing, you know, for like a little, for like a pinball to run through or yeah, something. Yeah, like. yeah. And it feels like that. Like, it has to be so intricately constructed for it to work. And when it doesn't, mm. it's just. Knocking it around at the back.
2: Yeah. I mean, and anyone can do that. Any team of professional footballers can just play it in a horseshoe around the back. You know, play it to your central uh, defenders, across to your fullbacks, maybe a central midfielder. Keep ball, keep possession. And if you're not pressed, you, you, you can do that. I mean, we've talked about this before. We've talked about the, the Goldilocks aspect of Arteta's of football, where if it's not just right, it's just fucking shit porridge.
1: And, and uh, yeah, I agree with that. But also the other thing I felt watching the game is like what you do on the ball is is obviously important. And I actually think our defenders now are better on the ball maybe than they have ever been or certainly have been for a few years. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of focus on that and not enough on how we win the ball and where we win the ball. You know, all the stats, all the figures show that although we we'll sometimes say, oh, you know, Aubameyang worked hard or Odegaard leads from the front, this team basically don't press. They basically don't press. Mm. And why? Well, Why do
2: we do that? Listen, we had a couple of questions on this. You know, uh, let me just see if I could find one here because I think it's relevant to this discussion. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Okay, well, from... Tokyo Gooner, who's at Tokyo underscore Gooner on Twitter, says, why do Arsenal have no intensity in a, in a game when we play once a week? And I know the this, this schedule is amped up a little bit, but we had discussions about this when we talked about not being in Europe, when we talked about are there benefits to this? Mm-hmm. And, you know... Are we better out of Europe for one season because we can really go for it in the Premier League? Arteta's got more time on the training ground. The players won't be fatigued. Like, you're right. We never win the ball high up the pitch or very, no. very rarely win the ball high up the pitch. What we wait and do is turn it over as they get towards our final third or certainly in our half. And we look for them to make a mistake or we look to, you know... um, Uh, break out from the back having won the ball or won a second ball close to our own area but we do not make any concerted effort to win the ball high up the pitch and look I'm not saying we should be Liverpool or anything like that but look at how many goals they score when they do that look at how they hurt teams when they win the ball in areas where you don't have to get 60-70 yards up the pitch to then have an attempt on goal
1: Exactly, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of debate uh, this week. I wasn't on a podcast after the United game, but about what is Arteta's instruction and, and what is not. But I do think that this clearly is deliberate, that Arsenal don't press high. They they sit in deep, they engage later, and they invite teams on, and then they look to kind of break through those gaps uh, when they do win it. But I, I have serious concerns about that I just feel that when you're talking about goals you need to think of the ways how can we score how can we create chances in the ways that don't depend on technical perfection from our players yeah and pressing uh and you know not permitting the opposition time on the ball is one of the very obvious ways in which you can do that. And as you say, if you've got a squad who aren't playing as many minutes as your immediate rivals, you know, people say when when Liverpool went out the Champions League, uh, uh, you know, didn't have European football, they got back in the top four. And it's like, well, yeah, because look how they played. Because Klopp's got that intense running style Mm. and that squad was able to sustain that better across a season than they otherwise can. And, I think we've missed a trick by not doing that. You know, Ralph Ranić came into United and, uh, you know, they produced a high-intensity performance in his first game. And Cristiano Ronaldo, who I think had been the least intense forward in terms of his work rate in the Premier League, was charging all over the place and the numbers backed mm. it up. And it's very simply done. I mean, he's got a training exercise and I'm sure Arteta has similar, but we do not seen the benefits of it where... You know, famously, uh, he plays like a small-sided game. And uh, when you've got the ball, the opposition have got eight they they've got eight seconds to win it back. And if they don't, they lose a point. And then when they get it, they've got to score within 10 seconds. And mm. if they don't, they lose a point. And it's all focused on those transition moments. But when you listen to Mikel Arteta, he talks about this team being weak in transition. He says, ah, when the game goes into transition, that's where we struggle. I don't know if I think that's working for us and, and the other area just on this kind of what more can we do other than play very intricate very beautifully crafted pass it through to create a goal I think second balls you know the amount of times mm. Aaron Ramsdale's going along and okay Aubameyang doesn't win it or Lacazette doesn't win it but the amount of times we don't get to the next ball is really concerning like your centre forward doesn't have to win it Because the centre half is only going to knock it back into the midfield. That's where you can get on it. That's where you can suddenly be on the front foot again. But we just don't do that often enough. And things end up coming right back at at us. Um, And these feel like fixable, trainable things. And that's the frustration, really. You know, I think we're sort of becoming accustomed to... Well, the way you score, of course, is you win it on the edge of your own box. And then you play you know, three or four perfectly weighted passes and that's how you get into the penalty area. And that's not how, you know, most teams in this league are playing with good reason. No, I mean,
2: and you talk about these things being trainable and coachable, and of course they are, but only if that's what the coach or the manager wants to do or that's the way that he wants his team to operate. And if here we are two years down the line, nearly where Mikel Arteta, that's not something that
1: he focuses on, then, you know... Is well, that's something he's going to do? I'm reminded, I, I sort of with, retracted it a bit, but I remember after the Crystal Palace game, you know, I said that thing about, it, I, I feel like Arteta is so focused on what happens in our half. Like, he's, you know, I feel like hours on the, it looks like hours on the training ground are spent, spent on, what do we do when Ramsdale's got the ball? You know, what do we do mm. when Ben White's got the ball? How do we exit from there? And even, like, in terms of the transfer resource, it's all gone in that part of the pitch, really. Yeah. It's, it's all gone in, like, our own third of the pitch. And I, I do just feel like the team, we get to the halfway line, and sometimes it feels like we just have a bit of a nosebleed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this is the thing, like, obviously we're not scoring enough goals. We all know that. And, and listen, by the way... Uh, this is all very negative for me. I appreciate that. And there is a kind of, you know, there is a context which I can apply later, which is not quite so do me. But I think, I think, you know, we end up looking at our defence and we're saying, are they as good as we thought? You know, we don't, you know, we're asking questions of every aspect of the team. I think that the problem is when you don't exert a consistent attacking threat, you let an opposition into the game. Like Everton were nowhere until they realized oh these guys aren't that dangerous like we can push on we can we can you know chuck a ball into Charleston and see what happens because you know when you are consistently threatening it pins teams back it forces teams back it tires them out if you can keep the ball in their half mentally and physically it's draining for the opposition
2: uh, yeah I, we I, just don't do that i yeah i absolutely agree with that I absolutely agree that that is is one of our you know, people think about attacking football or dominating areas of the pitch as, well, we don't score enough goals, and clearly we don't, and we need to do more. Uh, and I don't know, really, um, if that's possible, to be honest, under this coach and, and with this system, uh, this manager, rather. But you're right that that um, being able to build attacks to win second balls, to play the game higher up the pitch, to win the ball higher up the pitch, it also makes you more defensively secure. You know, the opposition can't score when you've got the ball in their half. I mean, Everton scored twice last night, but also could easily have scored four. Uh, You know, the, 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 the two Richarlison... Uh, offsides were so, so marginal, like by the letter We'd of the be law. be
1: fuming. Yeah, I think Obama, we probably you
2: know? would. I think we probably would, uh, you know, or, or at least be looking at it as, well, you know, the margin was so tight, um, we can take some positivity from it. I mean, the the warning sign was there at the end of the first half, not for the first time in recent weeks. We've been suspect at a a set piece. You know, we conceded... Liverpool, Liverpool, the opening goal was a set-piece.
1: We've looked a little bit shaky. Yeah, like towards the end of the first half. I mean, I I, I do think there's a bit of a problem sort of last five minutes of a half, first five minutes of a half. Those those periods Mm. are so crucial. That's when you really want the concentration to be there. In in fairness to the team, they responded to that moment quite well. I think those VAR moments are strange kind of momentum swings in games. And Arsenal kind of uh, mm. capitalised on that one. A well, little.
2: they did. It's a lovely goal, lovely finish from Martin Odegaard, good cross from yeah. Kieran Tierney. You've just been led off the hook by VAR. You go in 1-0 at half time. I think it's an opportunity for the manager to sort of, okay, put things right. And this, I think, is another issue that is increasingly apparent with Mikel Arteta is his ability to change... Games and change the momentum of games and change the way that we play within the games, even from one half to the next. Sometimes, you know, I, I remember talking about how we're a second half team. We throw away first halves and we respond. We haven't really been able to do that a great deal, but I thought this was one where we go in at halftime and Arteta says, look, that was shit. That was terrible, but we're ahead. Let's mm. do better this half. Let's create some kind of siege mentality because of what happened to Tommy Asu." That's the thing where, you know, it's a classic, uh, I don't think anyone could have posted the picture up on the wall or anything like that. But, you know, who's got an They've iPad? They've all got phones. They've all got iPads. All
3: got Get some yeah.
2: fucking one of those little uh, coaches to go around with his iPad and go, look, 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 look at this. You know, create some kind of us against them. But the second half was was more of the same. Uh, they had another goal disallowed um, close to the hour mark. Again, it's just so, so marginal. But, you know, on both occasions, and I think we've we probably overlooked this, is that on both of those disallowed Richarlison goals, the Arsenal defending was terrible. It was really bad. You know, Yeah, from the I set mean, piece you
1: tell then, me, because I've not had time to study it in depth. Well, like the other goals. one
2: was a set piece, and, and I think um, if I remember for the second goal or for the second disallowed goal I think Ben White should have stepped up to engage I think it was Dekore instead yeah, he was. stepped backwards let him make a pass and um you know from there he you know the the, the goal if you like uh, was scored but uh, he was offside marginally marginal like a hair's breadth <laughs> yeah. offside you know so we were lucky in in that sense um and then I think we get to we get to another real issue which is substitutions
1: yeah well, let's we'll get on to that I, I just want to say mm. I did think that Arsenal I did think they started the second half uh, better than they had the first. I thought they were a little bit improved in that first 10 minutes but they just didn't sustain yeah
2: there was a great ball from Kieran Tierney if I remember straight across the penalty box yeah, there was nobody was there
1: there were a couple of crosses. There, like was, there was one from Tommy Asu as well yeah, a, a, where it was a good area
2: there was a free kick from Martin Odegaard where he found Gabriel who tried to head it back across
1: that was a that was a good chance I think
2: I think um, so too I mean I don't know if he should have gone for goal or should have been a bit more accurate with the way he headed it, kind it back of across n- not
1: yeah. one or the other um, so they, th- there was an initial response, but then, you know, when Everton raised their intensity, we didn't match it. And uh, yeah, to come on to the substitutions. That that was a curious, curious mm. evening of substitutions.
2: It really, really was. So let's deal with them. Kieran Tierney coming off for, for Nuno Tavares. Um, maybe it was pre-planned. It felt a little bit pre-planned, 60 minutes, 65 minutes, something like that.
0: But yeah.
2: I, I I, don't really understand it. This is a guy, he hasn't played a lot in the last few weeks, but he's also super fresh. He's not fatigued. He's not tired. You know, he's training every day. Why are we making an unnecessary substitution at that point? And, you know... I think you made a really good point on your uh, on the whistle video about Tierney, which is that even though Tavares has been in the team for the last few weeks, we have had opportunities and moments where we could give Tierney 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there if that's what's necessary to get him to a point where he can play 90 minutes. I don't necessarily think that it is. I think Tierney should be able to come into this team and play 90 minutes at Everton, unless there's some injury we don't know anything about. But I thought that was a good point, that there was an opportunity over the last few weeks to give Tierney some minutes, to make him more match fit, etc., etc. Yeah. And I think that was a, I, it was a, an unnecessary change, which then hampered us later on.
1: I agree. I mean, I think, yeah, if we wanted to keep Tierney sharp across this period, we've had plenty of opportunities to do it. And I think if you start a game, if you know he's not going to last 90 minutes, and you start a game with Kieran Tierney coming back from injury, Granite Xhaka, who mm-hmm. hasn't played a minute in months, and Alexandre Lacazette, who you know can't do 90 minutes, yeah. then you've made your substitution decisions already. So you're in a position of complete inflexibility, and it's it's almost like he forgot he only had three subs. he thought it was back in five subs time. I don't think you can pick those three players knowing they're not going to make the ninety minutes because what happens if someone else gets an injury? Yeah, or what exactly. happens if you need to you need a goal or, or yeah as as happened, you know Martinelli had to come off um that was very, very, very strange, I think,
2: yeah, because we made that change and then. What five minutes later, tea. five minutes later, Martinelli had to go off. And yeah. I was looking at that going uh, on the hour mark. I think I said it on the live blog uh, around the hour mark that we need to get uh, Lacazette and Shaka off because they of both course. looked knackered. Like, yeah. And I understand it in Shaka's case because he hasn't played for two and a half months and he hasn't had training games and he hasn't had a run out in the under 23s. And there is a difference between just training and match fitness, et cetera, et cetera. So he hasn't played uh, at Premier League level for that length of time. So I understand it when it comes to Shaka, But that should surely have been part of the thinking. is that like if we're bringing this guy back to start a game after this much time out, chances are we're going to need to replace him at 60, 70
1: minutes there or thereabouts. Of course, of course, Andrew. I mean, you know, he played the full 90 minutes. When have you ever seen a player come back into starting lineup, a, a, an outfield player after an absence of that long and an injury of that sort mm. of severity and play the full 90 minutes? I, I honestly can barely remember it happening. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, it's a complete given that he shouldn't have had the full 90 minutes and yeah as for Tierney like as I said we had opportunities in league games they have been under 23 games if we were desperate to get in minutes mm. I, I don't get it and the and the irony of course being that Martinelli then goes down injured you've already put Tavarez on at left back probably Tavarez for Martinelli would have been quite a good sub at that point in the game you mm. know I think that would have been uh, relatively useful but yeah, the opportunity was gone, and then um, then Arteta, uh, in a in a move which is the subject of much discussion today, went for Eddie Nketiah. I,
2: I look, this is not a criticism of Eddie Nketiah, who missed a really good chance, and he's a penalty box poacher, and that's what he's in the team for, and that's where he is at his best. He missed a, a big chance. It, so, can I, I say
1: something very controversial? I thought he was probably Arsenal's best attacker on the day.
2: I Look, he got into a good position. He created a good chance it's for Aubameyang. Created some
1: good chances. But that That's doesn't a, preclude what you're about to say. That th-
2: This is a mental, crazy <laughs> substitution. Can I just... Um, let me ju- uh, put this in a little bit of context. Just in terms of what the decision is from the manager. Eddie Nkeria in the first, I think, 10 Premier League games, did not make the squad. He was on the bench for the Watford game, not in the squad for the Liverpool game, on the bench for the Newcastle game. He gets his first minutes of the season against Manchester United, 11 minutes of Premier League football. And in this game, in the context of this performance... Um, In a game where I think we needed a second goal, to be honest. He puts him on at left wing.
3: Mm.
2: I, I can't get my head around it other than it being Mikel Arteta sending a message to some of his other players. Whether it's Pepe, whether it's Aubameyang, like, here we are. I mean, Aubameyang... I don't necessarily like him on the left, but if it's not Pepe, that's the obvious selection. If you're not replacing Lacazette, you know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it felt like this is Arteta sending a message using an in-game situation, not for the best uh, use of the team, if you like, but for a kind of man management type thing. And look, it's not inkedia's fault that we conceded the goals that we did. He should have scored the chance that he scored to make it 2-1. But in the overall context of this game and the overall context of this season and how much Enkedia has been involved, it makes no sense to make that change. I just, it's baffling.
1: So here's what I think. I think that I've got, well, I've got a few theories about that, the the, the substitution, which I'll come on to. I, if he really thought that Enketia was the best option, then I don't have a problem with that per se. My, my issue is more, what has, be- what does that say about what has become of Aubameyang and Pepe? And to what extent are those players being mismanaged. Do you see what I mean? Like if if it, if it's at the point where you where Arteta genuinely thinks for whatever reason I need to choose in out of these three guys with respect to Eddie, mm. then something has gone wrong. Right? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so uh, yeah, I I think the theory that it was about making a point has some um grounds to it. It was a very strange post-match press conference. I don't know if this was clear, but basically none of the journalists could hear a word Mikel was saying. So they were asking him questions and he was answering back. Um, but it was just we would just see his mouth moving and it was complete silence. Perhaps like it is in the dressing room for the players, <laughs> it feels like at times. So, So the questions were kind of like, If it's felt like the questions were a little bit odd, it's because they weren't able to sort of be sequential in any way because no one had any clue what he had responded to what they'd said. Right. But he was asked about... um, Pepe. Eddie and and Pepe Pepe a couple of times, yeah. And what he said about Eddie was... um, I, I brought him on because he shows in training every day what he produced here this evening. And I, we can presume by that he means the creating the chances for people, not the missing a header from One Yard Out. Um, and that to me suggests it, that he's trying to send a message. Like if he comes out and says, I brought Nketiah on because of the commitment and application and the performances he produces in training, then the implicit thing is, and if I didn't bring somebody on, it's because I'm not happy with what they're doing in that. Yeah, thing. but I mean, I, I, I think. I mean, it's a leap, but I think that.
2: I mean, has it might well be
1: credibility. It
2: might well be. I mean, the the. If he's seeing that from Eddie, in training every day, has he only just started doing it? Is it I mean, because he <laughs> yeah. hasn't been in the squad for fucking the whole season, basically. And look, the other thing we didn't mention about Eddie, is that he's turned down a new contract, and he's yeah. going to leave. He's going to leave the club, might even be in January if we can sell him. But, you know, what Arteta, I I just don't get it. I
1: don't get it. It felt political is is not quite the right word. Well, this is my other pet theory, because I don't quite buy into the, you know, he did it so we can get an extra five hundred thousand for eddie in january no i don't really think that's a thing like when you're chasing a game that you would forgo you know bringing on a better player because you're thinking about the transfer market but i do i do wonder if i'm not sure about this but i texted you this earlier i remember the brentford game when arsenal were losing and Arteta took off Callum Chambers, I think it was, he was playing at right back Mm. and brought on Nuno Tavares as his right back. Yeah. And I think he had Cedric on the bench and it maybe even had Bellerin still, I can't remember, but he definitely had another right back on the bench. Maitland-Niles, maybe it was. Yeah. And um, to me, that was a very clear sort of signal of like, I'm not happy with what I've got. And... What I, the reason I bring that up is because it's precedent. And I do wonder if bringing Eddie on to play left wing was his, was maybe, maybe a signal of like, I'm not happy with what I've got here.
2: Oh, yeah. But like, there are ways you can do that without it impacting the team in the way
1: that it did, you know? Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, I don't think, the, the weird thing is, I don't think the Eddie substitution was a disaster. Like, I don't think it made us worse. I think he actually played pretty well with mm. the exception of the miss. I just think I worry much more about what it means for a Bemiang and what it means for Pepe. Sure.
2: I mean, look, there's there's very, very clearly an issue with Pepe right now and he's yeah. stony-faced on the bench. And when you're being overlooked for a wantaway away 20 20-year-old, 21-year-old yeah. striker who's playing out of position there's something very serious there's going, on, going there. on yeah yeah there's something going there's- on and and like you know will he be the next victim of victim maybe is the wrong word but like i think tim stillman said this on on twitter today in reply to somebody i can't remember who it was but i i laughed when i saw it but he was going has there ever been a time under michel arteta when there hasn't been at least the perception that he's beefing or whatever you want to call it with a player at some point in his Arsenal managerial career, coaching mm-hmm. career. It's a, it's a consistent theme. Now, maybe we're reading too much into it. Maybe he's just thinking, well, Pepe hasn't been playing very well. I don't want – you know. But, like, this is this is our record signing who hasn't got on the pitch uh, bar five minutes of action in the last five or yeah. six games. And there are there – are, you know, even if you have reservations about him as a footballer, which I think many people do – You know, there's a good case to be made that in some of these games, he could have been useful,
1: you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, mean, let's not forget he has been a bit crap as well. Yeah, he has. I'm not
2: not saying that, but he's still, like, this is a, we we come back to our goal scoring issue. Pepe, for all his flaws, is somebody who gets involved in goals. Yeah. You know? And again, maybe I just think, maybe this is a manager who is going, well, I don't know what else to do. I'll try this and just see if, it, if it's any good.
1: You know. Maybe, it, maybe. I, I, I think it's too weird <laughs> to, for it to be that. To like, be, yeah. a gambler puts on a Aubameyang. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they yeah. play the odds. The th- here's, here's what I think about the kind of fallout with players or the, um, you know, the sort of tension that exists with certain players. I don't mind non-negotiables. Like, I like non-negotiables. I think it's good to have standards. It's good to have authority. And it's good when you make a very clear decision about if somebody's on board or not on board. So in that respect, I I don't have like a massive issue with the way Arteta handled, say, Matteo Ganduzi, because it was like something happened. There was an incident. He had a certain number of warnings. The line was drawn. He never got another look in. Right? Mm. I, I'm okay with that, if it's clear. What is a problem is situations like bamiang, like Pepe, where are these? Con- there are these contradictory mixed messages, mm. like Maitland-Niles, mm. where they get a few games, they're part of the group, everything seems positive, Then their form drops. Something happens. I don't know. Maybe it's something we don't see. And then they're out again. And in a few weeks' time, they'll be back in. And it'll be someone else's turn to be on the, you know, on the out. On the naughty step. Yeah, I don't know. But, but, But for me, it's a much bigger problem, the ones where you don't make your mind up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you make your mind up that you don't want Pepe and you sell him last summer... Or get rid of him that is fine with me but don't do this thing of keeping him and n- not being decisive
2: yeah look it's a it is a bit more complicated in the sense that um It's not easy to
1: do this. Yeah.
2: yeah, There are other aspects to transfers and moving players on and all of those kind of things. But I think you're right. It's the consistency of the decision-making. And certainly from our side of things, our perception of it is that there isn't that there isn't the consistency that it sort of vacillates between one thing and another, or a guy is good one week. He's important. We love him. He's so great. I kept Sambi in the team for Newcastle after his difficult period at at Old Trafford or at Anfield, because I really believe in him and Newcastle, Uno and blah, blah, and all of a sudden, Sambi can't get a game. You know, yeah. hasn't played in the last couple of games. You know, and I wonder as well, the Aubameyang thing is, is a problem. Clearly, the goal scoring is a problem. The form is a problem. Has he not just made it bigger by doing what he did uh, in last night's game? By, by... emasculating is the wrong word, but to make the changes that he did, to throw Aubameyang on in the 85th minute. And look, he missed a chance as well. So I'm not here, I'm not like going to bat for Aubameyang, but at the end of the day, he's our highest paid player. He's our captain. He's our our striker. He's the, still the best striker we have at the club, which says something about the striking issues that we have. Mm. And we know that he is quite a, a an emotional guy, a bit of a sensitive guy. That what happened last night, I don't think is going to. I don't think it's going to do anything for Aubameyang's confidence or how he currently feels about you know what's going on, and, that, and maybe that's oh he might sh- do something bad yeah that's what I mean that's yeah. what I mean
1: uh, and you know happy happy Aubameyang smiling joking laughing Instagram stories with Lacazette Aubameyang is uh, great. You really want him around. Unhappy, Aubameyang? Mm. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, you know, it, when the smile drops, uh, you lose the player. Yeah. I really think that in his case. He's very emotional in how he plays. And, it that- does. I, you know, part of me thinks... When did we start to lose Aubameyang? Like, was it when Lacazette came out of the team? You know, they've got this weird, you know, they're very tight, aren't they? And, and sometimes I wonder, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, listen, I, I think I think um, you're right to say, you know, it's not as easy as making a decision on Aubameyang or Pepe. You know, there's other factors at play there. It will always... Uh, be on Arteta's record that mm. he was a big part of giving Aubameyang the contract that he did you know um, even if I think at the time uh, generally more people were in favour of that than against it uh, uh, but yeah it's and, and there is this sense that we're kind of waiting out this generation of attackers that kind of they they need to go but you know mm. season's a long time to wait as I wrote yeah, today and, like- and You've got to make do with what you've got. Well, you know? that's exactly it. You can want something else,
2: but you can't, you can't scupper what you have until you get it. You know what I mean? You can't just yeah, say, well, I, I, this isn't perfect for me. Therefore, I'm going to behave or make decisions which don't benefit the player, the team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying he's deliberately sabotaging himself, but I don't think he handles situations as well as he could. And and this is another one. You know, we're, we're a team that can't score goals. And the three main goal scorers, Aubameyang, Lacazette, certainly in terms of his uh, status as a senior striker, and yeah. Pepe like all of them have massive question marks over them right
1: now. And how are we supposed to score goals in the meantime? You know? Of course. Yeah. And, and listen, this is not to absolve those players of individual responsibility, no, no, no. but they're certainly, I think they're better than oh. what we're getting from them. And I think, um you know, that point about sort of Goldilocks football, sometimes it feels a bit like Goldilocks team building too. Mm. You know, Arteta talks about that idea of specificity. You know, I've got to have this exact centre back, and I've got to have this exact type of goalkeeper, and now I've got to have this exact type of centre forward. And the problem is that in the interim, while you're sort of waiting for those pieces to fall into place, you know, it it, it doesn't it doesn't it's not that it doesn't work, but it feels like it, it feels like there is sort of a, not a commitment to what to making the best of what we've got in mm. some ways. I, I don't mean, know if that makes any sense.
2: It does. I mean, and he he often says this that the job is to get the best out of the players that we have. You know, he was asked about the transfer yeah, window sure. in January, and he said the focus is getting you know the most out of the players that we have. Um, but I I worry that you know, that's that's clearly not happening because we know that some of these players are capable of more than we're seeing from them. Um, Mike, and that's should, not just the goal scorers.
1: Should we touch on the, the goals that we've Yeah, I think well?
2: we should. I think we should. Look, uh, coming back to the substitutions, this is not all on Nuno and I'm not here to kill him or anything like that, but this is the third successive away game where he's been found wanting when it comes to an Arsenal goal. I think there was a bit of a mix-up between himself and Thomas Partey from a throw-in and... Yeah, it, was, it was shoddy. Yeah, it was shoddy. It was shoddy play from both of them, a little bit reminiscent of the mix-up between himself and Smith-Rowe for the second United goal. To his credit, he tracks Richarlison into the box but then completely switches off. He's ball-watching as the the shot came back off the post. Richarlison is there to to head home and, like... I mean I begrudge him the goal of course I do but you know
1: Yeah I mean listen they going. got they got a bit lucky with the ball rebounding exactly to him but they hadn't had much luck yeah, prior to then Exactly been, certainly um, with the VAR and, so, and we um, didn't
2: react we didn't react you know Nuno wasn't aware he didn't
1: no. he 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 stumbled on the floor yeah. he actually makes a save on the first shot mm. um by the, the second one, I mean, it's a good, it's a, you know, he takes the header well, the, yeah. but it was the least that Everton deserved. I think um, so.
2: I think so. The second one, this comes back to Granit Xhaka, who picked up a booking around the 70 minute mark. I can't remember. Um, certainly, around the time he should have been taken off, had we not fucked up our substitutes. Yeah, it was um, a classic
1: Shaka booking. I mean, exa- the game had a lot of sort of trademark Granit Shaka moments, good and bad, and mm. that booking was absolutely, one
2: absolutely. Of them. So when Gomez picks up the ball in central midfield, what Granit Shaka, without a yellow card or a central midfielder without a yellow card, should do is just make the foul.
1: Yeah. Haul him back, and, grab it. He should have done it anyway. Probably, do you know? Like it was. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I, I, maybe he should have. I mean, then we'd be, you know, there'd be another big, huge discussion of course, about of a course, shaka red card. But you can handle that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, because he wouldn't give a fuck one it's way like, or the other. Yeah. He just genuinely wouldn't give a fuck. So uh, I do think the yellow card was on his mind though, and I do think the fact that it was his first game back. I think, uh, you know, ten games in, maybe I think he, he makes it, that yeah. foul. But on yeah, his first yeah. game back, he's he's reading the headlines in his head going, Xhaka yeah, returns, gets sent off on his first game back. I mean, I wouldn't have had any huge objection to it either because, um, you know, get it out of your system and come back. And, he shouldn't have been know. out there. That's well, the that's thing. exactly the point. He should not have been on the pitch at that point. Comes back to Arteta. Defending, not brilliant. Tommy Asu had two men to deal with. I'm not sure Ben White got close enough, but it's a brilliant strike from Damari Gray. Uh, I mean, the keeper had absolutely no chance, but the ball should never have got that far up the pitch. And if we'd managed our game better, if we'd managed the substitutions better, if we had a central midfielder on there who who would have made that that foul, then, you know, we come away with a draw point. We're not happy with that because it's a game we should win. or yeah. a certain, You know, but it's fucking far better than losing the way we lost
1: yeah exactly and and I think in the cold light of day it's easy to say this but when Everton get that equaliser you're away from home last 10 minutes there's some tired legs in the Arsenal team and that was evident don't lose don't lose. Mm. Like, I, I know that we felt it was a game we should win and we felt we could score in the game and we had chances. You know, you think of Nketiah, you think of Aubameyang as well, really late on. We, we felt that we still had a threat in the game. But when you go to 1-1, don't lose. Yeah, it's like the United Don't game. lose. Don't and, lose. And, and it, yeah, and it changes everything. The narrative, the confidence of the players. You're able to come away from it and be like, whew. That was a lucky escape. We were shit. We got a point. And then we say we we probably say that thing that we said a couple of other times this season. Oh, last season we would have lost that. And somebody somewhere should have been hammering that home that message. Don't lose. Don't get swept up in the emotion of we've just lost to United. We need to win three points. Because that defeat is much, much, much. More damaging than the draw, we, we would have mm. still been sat here raking over a really poor performance, asking questions about the attacking play, all those things. But at the end of the podcast, <laughs> we would have gone, well, we got a point. On to the next one. Mm. Now it's an inquest.
2: Well, I tell you what, though, I think what makes that defeat particularly disappointing and this week particularly uh, particularly disappointing is that I think we were looking at these two games as a way of measuring you know has the progress that we think we've made mm-hmm. is is it enough? Is
0: yeah, it definitely.
2: sufficient? And you know there's a three team um, title race and then there's the rest. There's United there's Tottenham there's um, West Ham and there's us. And This was a way of measuring where we are in that particular setup. And I think what what makes this feel, certainly for me anyway, especially damaging and especially disheartening, is that when it came time to stand up and be counted, we were stupid, we were daft, We didn't manage games as well as we should have on the pitch. The manager didn't manage games as well as he should have from the sideline. And those things contributed to us getting nothing from two games that maybe we should have only got two points from. Maybe it's only two points. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: But two points in this Premier League table right now, where does that put us? I mean, it puts us on 25. We'd be in fifth place. Um, You know, only two points off the top four. And we're still you know 4 points away from the top 4 but these two games yeah they've they've really really disappointed me and they've they've raised very very big questions about whether or not the progress that we had hoped we'd seen and the green shoots that we were looking at are sufficient for us to really improve on where we finished last season
1: well, I think they will be very damaging. And, and my fear is that they've really hurt the confidence of mm. the group. Like, I I actually think if we sat down and watched the Old Trafford game again, um, there would be things that we would be encouraged by. I don't think it was an unmitigated disaster. And I think that's why losing it was so painful. Because having watched the game, I think we all had a sense of... We should have taken yeah, something from yeah, that.
2: I think Jim from East Lower wrote a blog about this, one of his uh, occasional blogs, and his headline was "Frustration is better than resignation," which yes. I, I think is a great point because, like, if you just go to Old Trafford and get beaten, you expect to get beaten. It's like, well, but like being frustrated that we didn't take something from the game suggests that you know we're capable of better, and I think we were capable of taking something from that game. It's it's yeah. our ability to contrive the worst possible outcome for ourselves when there's a bit of spotlight, when there's a bit of pressure, when there's a a chance to make a statement, the statement is we're not learning.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I think, I think the Everton performance was a consequence of the players, um, Lose, you know. Mm. I, I think they they fed into one another, and I think the Everton performance was much worse than the Old Trafford one. Yes, I really do I agree. believe that, and that worries me because it's a young group. I know people are bored of me saying that for the most part. It is a young group. It's a young team on average, and as Arsene Wenger told us a million times, building that confidence takes a long time. You go up via the stairs, you come down via the elevator. Yeah. And I think we watched Arsenal over 10 games, whatever it was, uh, on the the route into Anfield, climbing those stairs. And I think uh, we may have seen against Everton that they've just crashed down back to the ground floor. Mm. And that is going to be really tricky to see, like, how they respond to this. You know, I, I think... It's going to be very interesting indeed. Because actually, like, you know, the, the fixtures, Southampton at the weekend, again, that's pretty kind. You know, much like, uh, was it Watford immediately? Newcastle. No, Newcastle after Liverpool. Um, and then West Ham in about a week's time. Mm. It was obviously daunting, but it was also an absolutely enormous opportunity. For a team uh, to kind of restake their claim in this push for European places, so but but ha- but how do you change it? How do you lift them? I mean, I know they yeah. were gutted last night, and and, and I, people won't have much sympathy because they played poorly, but they were gutted, and losing a game in those circumstances late on like that is is a gut wrenching thing, and it's different to we were outclassed by a better team. Mm. Um, it and fit, it's Mikel yeah. Arteta's job, I guess. Mm. You know, it feels so, a bit. It feels a bit like
2: after the opening three games of the season, this scenario that we find ourselves in. In that sense, in that we have put ourselves with our backs to the wall.
1: You well, know, yeah. A I little mean, Mikel Arteta had the best fifteen days of his managerial life. After that, he needs to have a pretty good three days now before Southampton. Yeah, like it's a job and a half. And the thing is, you know, it it, it is tricky. Our our senior players aren't performing well enough, and we all know that. And obviously the manager is responsible for all the players' performance. But we have also made this commitment to youth in other areas. And, you know, we talk about Nuno making three mistakes in three games. If you play young defenders, they're going to make mistakes. Mm. If you play young attackers... I think they're not going to be as productive as players in their prime. To a certain extent, we have, you know, shackled ourselves to that. So we have to accept that with that comes risk, comes undulation. Arteta's had a real knack, I think, in his Arsenal reign of when things look really bad... Uh, he's able to turn it round for a period of time. Mm. And some would say uh, uh, that rival fans like that aspect because, you know, it kind of keeps him in the job. Um, He needs one of... He individually, personally needs one of those moments again now.
2: Yeah, for sure. He needs a, a very solid three weeks between now
1: and the end of the year. Yeah, and the Man City game. I mean, so it's it's Southampton at home, West Ham at home, Leeds away, Norwich away, Wolves at home. That is, is pretty generous. And the weird thing about this league is that even though we're not playing especially well, you know, if we beat all those, if we beat the teams that are, if we if we were to win those games, the table would look pretty healthy. But...
2: It's a big if. It is a a very big if, you know, and that's why this week has has made that if um, particularly large. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Bold font if... Uh, if you like. Right, look, definitely. let's take a short break here um, and we'll fly through some questions in part two because time is a little bit tight today, but we'll get through as many questions as we can. I think we've covered a lot of the issues around that game and the team overall, but we'll get into some specifics uh, and questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Do you want to start? Will I start? I want you to start. Okay. Fair enough. Decisive. Fair enough. Jez Box on the Twitter says yes. "Parte is now a real problem. Is there any obvious solution?
1: He's in a funk, isn't he? Mm. I don't believe he's not a talented player. Um, do I believe he? May, we may at times overestimate his ability? I'm beginning to. But I still think he's better than... Uh, I think he's. I still think he's a, a very gifted player. I think clearly his confidence is low. Um, I think Shaka coming back will be a good thing for him. Didn't look at it last night particularly, but I do think it will. Um, I, what do you do? I mean, I, I guess the question is: Do you take him out of the team? And, and I'm not, I guess I'm not quite sold enough on our other midfield options to be like, yeah, definitely. I think I'm still in the, in the camp of like, desperately hope he finds form. <laughs> what yeah. about you? I'm
2: sort of in that one as well. Like I don't, I know what people say about, you know, leaving players out and let them sit out a couple of games. I'm not sure how well that works with players of, you know, who are 28, 29, that kind of age. Like, I think if you're a young player and you're out of form and you get dropped, you you kind of compartmentalize that a bit easier.
3: Hmm.
2: But when you're a senior player, and look, at least he's aware of it. He knows himself, and that's a good thing. He's acknowledged it. I don't know. I just, I mean, I don't know what the, the answer to this one is, whether you just play him. And let him come back into form. There were a couple of passes in the second half last night, which weren't bad.
1: But yeah, he, he's he in, in that place at the moment. Where, oh man, that shot! Um, yeah, I, I, he's in that place where we're seeing his. I think. I think we are. Don't get me wrong. He's not being good. But like at Old Trafford, say he had some very eye-catching bad moments in the first half. And that sort of dominates discourse a little bit. He actually was all right in Mm. the second half. And I think that because we're worried about him, every miscontrol, every misplaced pass, we're like, and Mm. And that sort of, you know, it's sort of spiralling. Perception of him is spiralling right now. I, I think you stick with him, but I do think this is a general point. It's not just aimed at Thomas Partey it is time for our senior players to step up. And it's, this is not to absolve the manager of responsibility in any way, but these leaders in the squad, as they're so often called and referred to, the likes of Partey, Shaka, Lacazette, Aubameyang, uh, I, I think you've got to count someone like Tierney among that, even though he's not particularly old. Mm. We need them desperately now. And I had a really interesting conversation with a Premier League, a former Premier League player after um, the, the Man United game. And I was sort of saying to him, you know, it feels like the, the team just don't follow, either the team don't follow the manager's instructions or, you know, I was talking about the sitting off thing. What's mm. happening there? Why are they doing that? If, they, if Arteta's on the sidelines waving them up and that's not what he wants, why is that happening? And he was like, listen, you can have whatever manager you want The game starts and it's people on the pitch making those decisions. And he said, I remember when I was a young defender, I'd have an experienced player next to me and they would tell me, now is the moment, the next 10 minutes, stay in the game. Mm. We just need to stay in the game. This 10 minutes, push up, we're on them. And it just feels like Arsenal, and I know it's a boring trope that's been trotted out time after time, but in these two games, we have lacked leadership and we need to find it from somewhere i think because uh, you know arteta is responsible but also you need those coaches on the pitch too to micromanage those situations because once you're out there there's huge onus on the players mm. there
2: i mean th- th- that
1: um, what
2: you've just said scares the shit out of me because Why? I think you you spoke a couple of weeks ago about Thomas Partey not necessarily being that kind of guy. Aubameyang, as we know, is not really your archetypal leader. Lacazette puts himself about a bit, wins a few free kicks. Uh, I think he's a a good guy around the training ground, according to the young players, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, again, not really that kind of guy. Mm. Shaka maybe is the only one that you could point to, and Shaka's version Volatile. or flavour of leadership, you know, is, is questionable. We've seen that down the years. That like, he is yeah. clearly a big personality. And we have all this stuff about, like, well, he got the keys of the house when he was six months old. <laughs> but he probably burned
1: it down when he was a year. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of th- ego in his form of leadership. And yes. that That's not... Um, uniformly a negative thing but it, it, it's it's a very specific type of thing yeah and it's like and maybe it's wrong of me to say it's all on the senior players but I, I just feel like they are the group who we need more of that from and, and frankly whose experience in these situations should be valuable you know
2: I, I think so, but then there's also part of me that again, without wanting to make any excuses for any of the players, or you know, we know that some of them aren't playing as well as they can. I just wonder, are they in some way or what's happening to them is in some way because of just the collective that the the overall issues that the team has are beyond their capabilities as players. Like, I'm not saying they can't do better, but is it putting too much on them to say, you know, what was our Arteta's quote over the weekend? The leaders have, or senior players have to lead and the young players have to follow. Mm. Well, that's the opposite of what's been happening. Mm. You know, when it comes to productive um, end product and all that kind of stuff, it's the young players. It was, it was Saka last season. Who was carrying the team at times? It's mm-hmm. Odegaard, who's 22, who scored in the last couple of games. It's Smith Rowe, who's been, you know, the 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 oil in the engine, and who has scored goals in the last few weeks for us. So, I get what he's saying about senior players doing more, but I don't know. I don't know. I just, well, I, well, I think, I'm... I don't think that's necessarily the solution. I'm not saying it won't make us better, but I don't know that Aubameyang and Partey playing better than they have fixes this team to the extent that we want it to be fixed, if that makes sense.
1: Maybe not, but I think it makes us a a dance side better. No, I
2: I agree. I agree. But I mean, look, can I follow up on that? Because here's a question from the Discord as well from Gooner MCC who says, I think I know the answer. But is it the strikers on the pitch or is it the system? Like, would Richarlison have scored for us tonight?
1: I don't know. He looked good, I thought, by the way. I think Um, he's a good player, yeah. You know, there's a lot of uh, reports around about Dominic Calvert-Lewin at Everton Mm. and he is someone Arsenal interested in. But someone said to me, Everton might be more minded to sell Richarlison. And I was thinking, wow,
3: Mm. he's
1: pretty handy, actually. And he can play like a few different positions. Anyway... um, well, we spoke about this, about not progressing the ball. I mean, you know, it, it's a bit of both, isn't it? Mm. Lacazette is just not getting shots off anymore. No. Um, and I think when you play other strikers in that role, Aubameyang, even on our bad days, he at least gets a couple of shots in. Um, so I think clearly that's a bit of individual responsibility there, but obviously the system could do more as well. Um you know we're just oh, th- this isn't really an answer to the question but i just want to say it so is that all right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I-, I think the answer is a bit of both on the question i've noticed this thing that's happening around arsenal at the moment where like there are a lot of these sort of big analytics reads being like what are arsenal do you know what do you know what i mean like sort of what are arsenal are they good are they not yeah good? Yeah, yeah 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 sure sure it's it's uh You know, it's in-depth stuff and some of it's really good. Um, James Benge wrote a good thing and there was another thing uh, last night that I retweeted. Who is it by? I might as well give it a shout out. Grace Robertson. And it's sort of looking at the, you know, underlying numbers for Arsenal. But for me, the fact that those pieces need to be written tells its own story. You know, the fact that everyone's looking at this team and going, sorry, what's going on? (laughs) Like, can we find some numbers that give us a definitive conclusion about this team? And the conclusion of those pieces is always not really. Like, we don't really know, are they good? Are they bad? Uh, Do they, you know, uh, what are they good at? They're not especially good at defending. They're not especially good at attacking. And I'm not saying this to slam them, I'm just saying, that's where Arsenal are, and the mental thing is, like I, I think they'll beat Southampton, and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat West Ham and then lose to Leeds at the weekend, <laughs> because they're just a very they're just a very mid tably kind of team, and that's how they play. That's what they produce. And I think what's making it so hard for us as fans is that that makes it so difficult to kind of form a coherent narrative around the season and how good this team is or not. You know, we we sort of, we're looking for positive signs and then something bad happens and we're like, oh, it's confusing because we're kind of average. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like, I, I just feel like um, it feels like a roller coaster, mm-hmm. but it isn't. It's is sort it? of always the same. Well, L- yeah. But you know, what changes the results, sure. but what we do doesn't really change. Well, what we do on the pitch, do you mean? Yeah, like we do it better and worse, Yeah, but it's basically the same. And like, I feel like there's this interesting sort of um, discourse around like style, style of play. Like what is our style of play? And I think that's a bit of a red herring. Like, I think we would accept the style if we were winning. Whatever it was. Like when we win, we're like, Yeah, we won. That was good. And then we lose and we're like, oh, what's the style? Like ultimately it's this sort of contradiction of but, results are um how can yeah. I put it? Yeah, well we our, our analysis hinges on results, but really what we're analysing underneath is basically the same
2: thing. But, okay, but doesn't let's say uh you know, to take that particular point, yeah if you have a coherent style which, you know, we can try and identify or not, does that not increase your chances, assuming that that style is good, of winning games on a more consistent well, basis? Therefore, you're less.
1: Yeah, I'm asking. That's a big leap. Like, if if we had a really clear style, like let's say our clear style was high-intensity Gagan press, right? Mm-hmm. But we were losing half our games, we wouldn't be glad we had a clear style, I don't think.
2: But would you lose half your games if you were good at that particular thing, though? That's...
1: Yeah, but that's like saying, would you lose half your games if you were good? Like, if we were good at anything. Yeah,
2: yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, Uh, like, uh, I I suppose it's sort of like a... uh, Yeah, I guess that's a tactical thing of, like, if you emphasise your strengths, Mm. um, would you be better off? Basically, uh, this is quite a big ramble now, but basically... I think it's interesting that no one it's quite interesting that no one can figure out what Arsenal are but it's also not interesting because there's no consistent narrative around what we're doing. But, Do you see what I mean? It's yeah. like back and forward. Sure. But two it, steps forward, two steps back. Isn't that in
2: itself telling
1: that Maybe
2: this is overthinking it. It's overcomplicating it. And what Arsenal are is a very average football team right now. And the swings from one side to the other are simply a consequence of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Like mid-table teams go on winning runs and losing runs. Mm. I mean I've said this last season but that is what they do and but, Arsenal are a kind of upper sure. mid-table team. But is it you know isn't part of what's
2: more frustrating about this season is that we've had a big investment in the summer and yeah. one of the one of the things that we wanted to see or needed to see or expected to see was a little more consistency whereas what we're seeing is more or less the same in terms of um, like, I I think uh, Scott did this on the By the Numbers piece um, on our News, where, like, I don't think it's particularly um, scientific, but you know that thing where you look at the amount of points you got from the uh, yeah, corresponding sure. fixtures last season, and I think we're about the same, or maybe a couple less, and yeah. that doesn't really tell you, you know... Uh, For sure, what's happening one way or the other, because, you know, one season you can beat a team, another season you'll lose to that team. But, you know, it's very samey.
1: The thing is, yeah, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because if Arsenal's results this season were exactly the same as last season, I imagine people would be extremely unhappy. But I guess the theory would be, yeah, but the team we had last season was never going to get better. Whereas the theory, at least, is that this team next season will be better because of the age of the players. Mm. That's the theory. Now, I'm not expecting anyone to like that or enjoy it. But uh, uh, if you're looking for a silver lining, that's it.
2: Well, I mean, this time last year, after 15 games, we had 17 points, which left us 10 points off the top four. Yeah. And right now we have 23 points after 15 games and we're four points off the top four. So that's the way you measure a table, not the corresponding fixtures. It's like, where are you this point of the season in comparison to last season? And it's better. I mean, it is better. There's no two ways about it. Six points better, we're closer, etc., etc.
1: I mean, no one wants to hear this, but as awful as this feels, you know, we've, of the last 14 games, we've lost three. It's not apocalyptic, but it's just that, I think it's loads of things. I think it's that there are some deep-rooted concerns that are being borne out by some of these performances. Mm. I think that's a massive part of it. I also think there's just a lot of deflation and disappointment, because whether we like to admit it or not, we were probably all quite carried away, not carried away, but swept up in the unbeaten run. Look at Saka smith Row. Aren't they nice boys? We liked them. We liked them. We wanted them to do well, you know, and we be- And with ever- other teams faltering, Spurs having sat their manager, United having sat their manager... The goalpost did slightly move because we, most of us came into the season going, top six will be a result. The goalpost moved and we started going, the discourse changed to, are Arsenal a top four team? I think we're seeing the answer to that question is no. Arsenal are not a top four team. I don't think they are good enough. They asked probably what we thought they might be at the start of the season, potentially a top six team. So there's not been a dramatic... Change there, I just think it 's the hope and the expectancy, and like you said, this litmus test of are we good enough for to leapfrog and to be in the champions League mm. and a very resounding answer of no, probably not, and that feels crap,
2: yeah, look, I mean, you said something earlier about i can 't remember a, a scenario or a situation uh, or a reaction to a situation that tells its own story, and I think the fact that we do lurch from... I don't want to say we lurch because I, I don't want to speak for anybody else or speak for uh, one no, section no, no, of no. the fan base or the other section of the fan base. But we, you know, there have been ups and downs. So there have been swings and roundabouts this season where, you know, we've had some positive moments and we've had some really negative moments. A lot of it focuses on the manager. A lot of it focuses on, okay, well, oh shit, he's in trouble here. And then he does something and you kind of go, well, maybe, you know, he could be... And it's like, no, he's in trouble again. Um, you know... <sighs> I think that tells its own story mm. that some of these concerns or worries or issues that people have are so deep seated that it becomes nigh on impossible to sort of get beyond them. Like you can plaster over them for a little while, but eventually they come back to the surface, if that makes sense.
1: You know? Completely. Yeah. And and I do think as well, the damage that was done in winter of last year with that terrible run I think, I think that and other things, issues with players. I think Arteta and the lost League. the Europa League. I think Arteta lost a certain number of people along the road, and then when things get bad again, even for a short period of time, all those wounds are reopened. And if your mind's made up, your mind's made up as a fan, and I don't judge anybody for that, but it means that when you falter. Mm you're in trouble. Mm. I mean, have we got any questions about if they should sack the manager? Cause I feel like if we don't do that, people will feel it's the a risk.
2: Uh, there was one from, uh, Ian Wright, not that Ian Wright, who's at IH Wright, <laughs> who said at all points when Arteta has been in a difficult moment, there's been an excuse that generously minded people could make for him. It doesn't feel like uh, there are many excuses right now though, does it? He's just not getting the best from his players. And was there another one? um, let me see. Yeah, Lewis, for example, uh, Lewis Ambrose, uh, oh, yeah, LG Ambrose on the Discord, who said, "Mikel Arteta's contract expires at the end of next season. How good to the next? How good do the next eighteen months have to be for the club to decide that he has definitely earned a new one? Where do we have to be by summer 2023?" I mean, another one as well, Fenny, uh who says, Harry, it adds an existential question. Do you believe anymore? Forget the trust, the process line for a second. Do you believe in this project? And yeah. There's
1: a- do I believe in the project?
2: Because I do think that the question like, should they sack the manager or not, is just is, is quite a reductive one at this point. But I do think that the question of his performance, what he's doing, and I think more importantly what he's capable of doing is a really
1: important one and i you know i do what's the timeline for a manager to get better that's the thing like well here yeah go on i was just gonna say like it's completely legitimate and fair to criticize the manager and it's also fair to say that you think they should replace the manager but i also think there is a middle way <laughs> where which is sort of where i am of being like i there are these imperfections in Mikel arteta there are things he does better than other things there are things he's not doing very well how long do you give those things to change yeah
2: well i thought about that this morning when i was writing the the everton the post game blog. Yeah. And I think now that he's nearly two years, it'll be the end of December. He'll be two years as head coach slash manager. And the biggest single issue I see with. Mikel Arteta's teams throughout that two year period is the fact that we don't score enough goals. We don't make enough chances. We don't Mm -hmm. score enough goals.
1: Yeah, I completely agree.
2: And I don't understand, from my limited knowledge of football as a fan or anything like that, I don't really see how that changes. I don't see Mm. how there's a switch which makes everything
1: better. You don't think there's a magic centre-forward that changes everything? I,
2: I don't think so. And it's not as if we're even seeing, like, incremental progress. It's no. the same or indeed slightly worse this season. We're scoring fewer goals this season. Uh, I think uh, our goals per game average is lower. So, or, or that you know, maybe it's not, maybe we scored more goals this season than we did at this point last season because we had that terrible run, but it is the overwhelming concern that I have about his ability to get this team to where it needs to go. Because, you're going nowhere unless you can score goals. And we don't score goals. And we've had a discussion about, you know, all of our strikers and forward players being in the shits right now. And I'm not sure who picks up the slack. And I'm not sure how the team becomes uh, a slick attacking unit because he's had two years now. And I think the the... The, the initial question there about there's there's always been an excuse. And I think sometimes you could say there's been a reason why things haven't been good, mm. more than an excuse. There are reasons, and I'm not here to suggest that um, he's been flawless or anything like that because I think part of it is down to him. But there are no more excuses. There really aren't. When you've been given the backing that you've been given, when you've been given the, the show of faith, when... Like, I think at this point, you know, the the young team thing is a bit of a red herring. It's too much of a safety net for Mikel Arteta. I mean, I get it. I, I, we all get it. We all know young players are inconsistent. It takes time to build things. You're going to have yeah. bumps on the road. But it feels like another safety net where, oh, well, look, you know, what can you expect but if other aspects of our game were improving, I'd be much more comfortable with games where it doesn't happen or we have a bad result here or there if you could see the fundamentals of what we need to do on a football pitch improving. And I I, struggle to see that, and I struggle to see where it's going to come from. I, I hear That's you. That's my massive, massive concern.
1: I you know? hear you. But but we, we – how can I put it? We have to – well, we don't have to do anything. Anyone could do whatever they like. But I do think that if we went back in time, two or three weeks, rightly or wrongly, you and I have both said a lot of things like, Arteta seems like a different man this season. And <laughs> he's doing things differently. Yeah, And yeah. we like it. Sure, I agree. And And now, because we've lost a couple of big games, we feel terrible and we're like, aha, the bad things were always bad and that's human nature but it's not black and white is all i'm saying sure like i, I agree like is this just what is this what getting oh, i don't know is this just what learning a manager learning feels like like they have periods where you feel like things are getting better and there are incremental improvements Not big improvements, no one's lying about that, but then there's a setback and it feels like oh, they don't know what they're doing, and then they get a bit better again. I don't know, and is that good enough? Probably not.
2: That's the question.
1: That's probably not for a lot of fans. Like, it's weird that thing of like how long, like, if you like Unai Emery got 18 months, didn't he? And he was like a very experienced coach,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. He Look, uh, people say and have often said, you know, look, when it was going wrong under Emery, you were more strident or you were more vocal or you were more decisive about what you were saying. And I think that's fair. But also, these are two very distinct projects, if you like. Emery was brought in as a, you know, a guy who could get us back into the Champions League, mm. which he nearly did, to be fair. Um, who could maybe get us... He, he was a
1: short-term appointment.
2: He was a short-term appointment. So it had to of, work or not immediately. Yeah, exactly, with some short-term signings. So the likes of uh, Socrates and and those kind of signings, you know, uh or, you know, guys who are going to come in and make an impact now. Now, yeah. now, 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 now. Whereas Arteta, whether people like it or not... Um, has certainly developed into more of a project manager, maybe even in
1: just the last six months, you know? And also, it, but when you hire a manager who's, who's never worked in a yeah. job, you are committing to a project of sorts. I mean, exactly. It, it could be argued that Arsenal said, when they hired Arteta, I'm sure they expected an immediate upturn and they probably felt they got that when he won the FA Cup, etc. um not maintained that sort of rise, if you will. Mm. But they might have said, I can imagine them thinking, um, well, in five years, he'll be the manager we want. But we're in year two. And it's like, how long into that do you keep going? It's a very, very difficult one. Because basically, after Emery, Arsenal have adopted a way of working that has a longer timeline. But as fans, our timelines don't really change. No. You know? Our timelines are, don't lose that game. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's so complex and I can't tell anyone what they should think. As for Lewis's question, how good do the next two years have to be? I think he has to get into Europe in both years. Well, (laughs) if he doesn't
2: get into Europe this year, he, he needs to go. Simple as that. If he doesn't get this team, at least into the Europa League, I would say it's time for him to go. I would also say that if he gets us into that poxy UEFA Conference League, he should probably go as well.
1: (laughs) I I think, I'm not being being
2: flippant there, by the way. I'm being completely serious.
1: Right. Well, I... Yeah. hmm. Do you you think there's any... um, What I'm weighing up in my mind is what I actually think would realistically happen, you see. So, I'm not convinced... I think he's very safe in his job. Let me put it like that. Maybe too he's safe. F- extremely
2: safe. Maybe too safe. If he's, you know, if if your theory from part one over some of the uh, the decisions that he's making about substitutions as a way to uh, to yeah it's show his spe- that
1: speculation. Of course, who knows? I, I
2: said it was a theory. I didn't say it was the truth. Uh, you know, maybe that's a little bit too. Um, comfortable yeah i, I you know that
1: i agree with but that. I but, but i do think i
2: I'm, I'm, I'm just separating what i think would happen to what i would like to happen that if yeah. Mikel arteta does not get this team back into europe then it's time for someone else there's no two ways about it in my mind um you know, that should be the minimum requirement for this season. And if it doesn't happen, thanks very much. You had two and a half years. You had a huge amount of money to spend because let's not overlook that. It's well over 200 million pounds, at least. You mm. know, when you add this summer spending and Partey and Gabriel from last season, you know. So he could never say that he wasn't backed financially. He could never say he wasn't backed in terms of um, faith and trust and support from the board or the owners or whatever it is. And even to a very large extent from the fans Mm. who did put aside that terrible run last season. When we got back in the stadium, we I talk about the Royal we, but when fans were back in the stadium, you know, the team was well supported, even though, performances and points etc are well below what was expected. So I just think that this season you you have to as a football club have some uh, what are the things that they call them objectives or aims or ambitions sure, or whatever sure, it is. Sure. markers and if, of success yeah. yeah. And there's got to be a minimum requirement I think. And I think minimum requirement for Mikel Arteta this season is Europe. I think we're going to skedaddle our way through the next few weeks and we'll see what happens it could be looking much rosier by the end of December or it could be looking a lot worse yeah it's not all by any means yeah so this is where we are with it so
1: indeed indeed Um, I've got a guy I know And I'm sorry we didn't get to more questions.
2: Sorry, yeah, but I I
1: hope it was still interesting. Yeah. A lot of the questions were along these lines, weren't they?
2: There were were some more, you know, um, like... What what, about Pepe and stuff like that? What the hell? What's going on? Why? Why? There's a few of those. There are a lot of those.
1: Why are you bothering to do a podcast? Are you mental? That sort of thing. All those. Well,
2: look, um, there are big issues. There'll be uh, time for those, guys. There will. will be time. There will. There will. We'll get to them. But as ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. It, uh, you know, it's, uh, may you live in interesting times and all that. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> let's hope we can turn up against Southampton at the weekend. We'll have more podcast stuff during the week for you as well uh, over on Patreon, preview podcasts and more, I hope. Um, so for now, we'll leave it there. Until the next one, take it easy.
1: Bye. Bye.